Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in Ephesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his good will and plan and to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the Son whom he loves. We have been ransomed through his Son's blood, and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his good will and the plan that he intended to accomplish through his Son. This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. We have also received an inheritance in Christ. We were destined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. We are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were the first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest. The rest of us may be seated. Uh, My name's Daniel. I'm a pastor here. And um, we're going to be getting into God's word, into Ephesians. I'm going to pray and ask that God would speak to us this morning. So will you pray with me? God, you are the God who loves us, the God who is with us. You are the God who does speak to us. May we be open to what it is you have to say. Give us ears to hear you this morning, hearts that are receptive to what it is you want to offer us. And I ask that we would have an encounter with you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we started a new series in Ephesians, which will be going through to the end of May. Um, So it's going to be a long journey, but a good one, I think, I hope. Uh, And if you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians, it's on page 976 in the blue Bibles in front of you. So if you want to get those out, because we're actually going to be 
going through the text. Uh, I just want to reiterate a few things that I said last week. Um, One of those things is that Ephesians is a letter in the New Testament that's unique in that there isn't a specific problem that provoked the writing of this letter. Uh, A lot of the epistles in the New Testament you know, Paul was addressing different things. There was, there was division going on, or there was sexual immorality, um, or people were, were, were getting up in arms about different things, so he wanted to write letters to sort of address those in light of the gospel. But Ephesians is different in that there's no specific problem, but rather Paul is addressing churches in this area of Ephesus to, to kind of pull back the curtain on what church is, to enlarge the imaginations of of people who are involved in this thing called church. Now, this week, this last week, my five-month-old, almost five-month-old, daughter Amelia, she was in the hospital. And she's good now. She's healthy, um, not sleeping. She didn't get the memo that we also have lives to live. Uh, But uh, while we were in the hospital for three days, my wife and I were there for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. My wife stayed overnight. I was there all day. Monday through Wednesday, Um, what happens in the hospital, and you might have had this experience, time seems to not exist. Uh, It it, it seems as if there's a world outside of the hospital that you're not even aware of anymore. Like it doesn't, it's not there. You're so focused on this small room, you almost kind of feel like you're imprisoned, like you can't go out, or like the movements you make are just very small, right, to go to the restroom or to get up and to go... um, you know, look at my daughter or hold her. And, and the world is just constrained in this small little box, it feels like. Uh, and we would, my wife and I would constantly say, like, it just feels like there's nothing outside of this. Uh, and it, we would be reminded, like, oh, yeah, we have two other children that, that need to be taken care of. What, who's going to drop off whom? And uh, we had a lot of help in that regard. But it just reminded me when we got out, finally, when my daughter was released, there's this whole world that's been going on, whether or not I've liked it or whether or not I've been attentive to it. Um, and, and I wonder if that is some of your experience in living, where you are somewhat so focused on one thing. It doesn't have to be taking care of somebody who's sick. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, a bad thing or a problem, but you're focused so intently on one thing that you actually forget everything else around you. Well, it's so easy, I think, in my experience as a Christian, to be in the church and to be so focused on one thing, whether it's myself and my own spirituality and how good or bad it is or how good or bad the church is or the problems that exist, that we, that we, our focus is so specific on one thing that we actually don't have perspective. Well, this letter is written to provide perspective, to enlarge our imaginations for what is actually going on in our life together and in our life with God. And so what I want to do this morning is, is talk about uh, verses 3 through 14. And I want to slow us down. And I just want to talk about a few words that come up in this, in this passage. Now, you can't really tell in, in the English, but in the Greek, what's really interesting about this is actually one long sentence. Verses 3 through 14. It, it, the, the author, Paul, is, is basically just, he can't talk fast enough. Do you ever have that experience? Or do you ever have like a five-year-old 
in your life where they're so excited about something that they just, they keep talking over, like, and you're trying to figure out what's, what's happening, what's going on. I can't really make sense of this. Okay, this person did that, and he's really happy about that. You just don't know. Well, this is this sense that Paul has about what God is up to, that he just can't stop talking. And words begin to build on, on other words, and these ideas begin to build on each other. It just becomes this one long sentence of excitement and of, of, of praise. And so I want to go through this slowly, pointing out some key words that I think are helpful that really point to God's activity. So what does God's activity look like in the church? If we were to pull back the curtain, if we were to turn on, like I said last week, the director's commentary to find out what's actually going on, what might we see? And this is what Paul is going to do. So seven words I want to talk about. They're up here behind me. And I'm going to go through these, and I'm just going to highlight them in the text, talk a little bit about them, and then talk about why I think it matters or what they point to um, and how it might help us in our engagement with God. So this first word, which shows up in verse, in verse 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, starting in verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So I was wrong. Verse 3. Um, so this blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Now this word blessed, what's going on here with this word? Well, we talk about blessing all the time, like God bless you if somebody sneezes, or we might say a blessing over somebody. But what is this getting at? Well, there's this sense that in Jesus Christ, God has blessed us. And the idea here is actually giving, is, is, a, is a sense of well-being. In Hebrew, the word blessed, asher, or asher, um, means to be blessed or to be happy. There's this sense that in Jesus Christ, what God is, is working toward, is working out in our lives, is this sense of well-being through Jesus. This actual sense of of having a life that is, that is fulfilling and means something. But it's only possible in Jesus. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Next word, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Chose. I just want to pause here in this word, chose, that, that God chose us. God chose you. Did, like, what does, that, what does that do for you, to think that God chose you? There's this sense for me, when I hear that word, it means a lot to me, because there's this sense in which God desires relationship with me. That God actually wants relationship. Do you ever feel like God is obligated to love you? Do you ever feel like, well, yeah, God, of course he would do this because he's supposed to, he's God. But here, there's this sense in which God has made a choice. And that choice is you and me and us. That God chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then in love, it says he predestined us, or he destined us, is the other, or how other translations do it. 
for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Okay, so now we're getting on sketchy ground. Predestined. I, was at, we, I had a friend last week after we talked about Ephesians. He came up to me. He's like, man, you really picked a book that has like the greatest hits of church controversies, didn't you? Um, and, and I didn't really think about it until he said it. And I was like, oh. Uh-oh. Um, he's not wrong. But, so, so here's this sense of, of but, but it's in our Bible, so we need to f- talk about it, or at least figure out how to talk about it. And you can disagree with me, and that's totally fine, because there are people who have attempted to have, to formulate theological treatises and, and complex ways of thinking about what does this actually mean? What does it mean that God destined us, that God predestined us? Now, I'm not going to figure it out for you today, but here's what I want to sort of tease out of what I think Paul is attempting to do here. The Bible is fine with this tension, with God being in control of all things, right? Working out his purposes. That God is has created the world and then one day will make all things new. And that all of the things that happen in between these two things are somehow part of God's plan. God's responsible. But yet, the Bible also acknowledges that we, as people, have agency. That we make choices. And that we do things, right? That we we actually, that our choices do matter. And the Bible says, yes. That is true. Both of these things. Now, there are theological formulations that attempt to kind of focus on one so here's why we have human agency and here's how it works with God being in control. Or theological formulation said, of course God's in control, so this is what it means for your life and everything is, has already been preordained for you and all these things. I think that Paul isn't attempting to, to do that. What he's trying to say is God is, is responsible, God is in control, he has purposes and somehow we're, we're involved in it. Now it reminds me of this, um, one of my favorite novels, there's this moment when this person asks this reverend, so... Um, I want to hear your take on the doctrine of predestination. And here's what he says. He says, of course he would bring that up. There is no other doctrine that I would, like, would, not talk about, would rather not talk about more than this. Because I've seen grown men, God-fearing men, come to blows over this. And nobody's understanding has actually produced any more understanding to the actual concept of what's going on there. And I think, absolutely. So I'm not going to figure out this word, but what I think Paul is attempting to do here and why I think it's important is because somehow God is in control and he's fulfilling his purposes and we're involved in it. And our actions are wrapped up and they do matter, but it's all about what God is wanting to do. And it's all about our participation in that. Did I solve it? No. That's okay. If you have a better way of dealing with it, come talk to me afterward. Verse 6. Well, I'll, I'll start with verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, this word is actually different from the previous word of blessed in the Greek. This word can be um, defined as, as given or bestowed, but it's this sense that God has given to us. 
his grace. Whereas the other word kind of connected with this well-being, this sense of, of giving us a life that, that, that means something, that is fulfilling, this is actually connected to God giving us, bestowing upon us his grace. He's blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus. And it's in Jesus we have redemption through his blood for forgiveness of our trespasses. Then in verse 8, this word lavish, which he lavished upon us. Now, what is that word lavish? Like, what do you connect that word to? Well, there's this sense of it being poured out, being poured out over us. Do you get this sense of Paul just kind of upping the ante constantly in what he's attempting to say about how God is at work in our lives and in the church? He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So he's poured out. This redemption he's poured out. This grace he's poured out over us. This work of God is poured out over us. And it's through that work that he's making known to us the mystery of his will. So mystery here is also an interesting word. Because when you think of mystery, what do you think of? You think of something that, oh, something happened, and you need to figure it out, and if you just kind of work hard enough and you get all the clues and the evidence, you'll find, you'll figure out the mystery. But the word here that Paul is using, this idea of mystery is something that can't be known unless you are told. You can't actually know this unless God tells you what this means. And so what this means is, what I think Paul is getting at, is we, there's this mystery going on in God's work that is we would never know about it, have any sense of it, unless God actually let us in on it. And the wonder and the remarkable reality is that God has let us in on the mystery. We know the mystery of Christ because God himself has revealed Christ to us. We would not know Jesus if it were not for God. We would not know God if it were not for Jesus. God has let us in on the mystery. It is possible to know. And he keeps going, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Finally, what Paul is saying, this is one of the verbs that he uses of what God is going to do in Jesus is gather up, unite everything under Jesus Christ. That there is nothing out of reach for God. That all things are going to be gathered up in Jesus. This is how expansive God's work is in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that for a minute. That everything is going to find its meaning and its purpose and its reference in the person of Jesus. That's how far-reaching God's activity, God's work is. And that's, we're connected to that. But now notice, kind of moving from these words, that none of these words happen in like an abstract way. They're always connected to the words us or we. That all of these things happen to us and that we are recipients of these things. Now God is a relational God. And all of these things that Paul is talking about, we are wrapped up in. We are not outside of this. 
We are God's church, God's people. And also notice that none of this happens apart from Jesus Christ. It's always in Christ, through Christ, in the beloved, because of Christ. Everything that's happening within the church, in the church, in our spiritual lives, is because of Jesus, for Jesus. If you notice three times in the text, it says, for the praise of his glory. For the praise of his glory. All the things that God is doing are for the purposes of honor and praise of Christ. All of our lives find its meaning in reference to Jesus and in our praise and our honor of Jesus Christ. Do you think of your life as being something that is to be lived as praise to God? That how we live our lives is to give Christ honor, to bear witness to what God has done in Jesus. That's what it means for us to be the recipients or to be the object of all of these words, all of these verbs, all of the activity of God. Why do I think this matters? Well, I think one of the reasons why I think it matters in our lives finding its reference point in Jesus, because it's incredibly leveling. For those of you who think you are wonderful at being a Christian, good for you. Second, um, if you think that's because of you, you're wrong according to what God is doing and what, what our lives are to mean in reference to Jesus. If you think that your spiritual life is of worth because of what you're able to accomplish, then you've got it backwards. The lives that we live in honor of Jesus, in faithfulness to Jesus, they're only possible because of Jesus. They're only possible because of God's work in our lives. But those of you who think that you don't have much to give or that you're excluded from it or that your spiritual life is is in a really bad place and it's been for so long, well, I've got news for you. Your life is still in Christ, in the beloved. You are not out of God's reach. You are not out of the work that God is doing and wants to do through you. So that it levels the playing field. You're not as good as you think you are because this is Christ's work. But you're not as far off or as excluded as you think you are because you're still in Christ. The point is getting in line with God, getting into the current of God's work and activity. I said last week that the purpose of Ephesians, what it's attempting to get at, what, what the, the hope is from the writer is that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called and that we would grow up in Christ. That that really is the work that we are called to do as Christians, as the church, is to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, but also to grow up in Jesus, to grow up in the works that God has for us. But it needs to start from this place of God's activity, not our own. God's beginning, not our own. God's faithfulness and work and ability to bless, to choose, to destine, to lavish, to make known. 
Not our ability to bless. Not our good choices. Not our purposes. Not our ability to understand. I mean, everything that happens is because of God. That's the point of this one long sentence. Everything that's taking place is because of what God has done in Jesus. I mean, that's a remarkable thing to wrap your head around. So everything that takes place is because of what God has done in Jesus. Eugene Peterson, he says it in a way that I really appreciate. He says, this orienting introductory sentence places us in a cosmos in which God starts everything. Everything. There's not a single verb commanding us to do something, not so much as a hint or suggestion that we are to do anything at all. I mean, think about that. It's true. There's nothing for us to do in this one long sentence. No requirements, no laws, no chores, no assignments, no lessons. We are born into a cosmos in which all the requirements and conditions for growing up are not only in place, but in action. And once we get this through our heads and assimilate it into our imaginations, we are out of the driver's seat forever. The practice of resurrection is not a do-it-yourself self-help project. It is God's project. And he is engaged full-time in carrying it out. So God starts everything. How might your life with God feel, feel differently if you were living from the place of believing that God is the one who's initiated, that God is the one who has started, that God is the one who has done all of this? How might your spiritual life feel different? Would it be as exhausting? Would it feel as burdensome? Or might it feel more like a gift, an opportunity, something that we can participate in? For a lot of my Christian life, Christianity, the spiritual life, has felt super exhausting, partly because I'm super bad at it. And by that I mean it's so easy, right, to make spiritual life one or two things that you're supposed to be doing well. And if you're not doing those things well, then somehow you've lost track or you're off the path. But to start from the place of, no, I am Christ's beloved. You are God's beloved. That that is true of us in Christ. How might you live differently in response to that? How, do you, how might you live differently with somebody who, who you know wants to be with you? Not somebody who has to be with you. Not somebody who feels obligated to do that. But somebody who actually wants to be with you. Might you then in turn want to be with that person? Might you in turn want to be with God in a way that is freeing? In a way that feels more life-giving? Not so exhausting. Not so burdensome. But actually the way that Jesus talks about it in the Gospels as a light burden. But most, if we're honest, do we live our lives as if they're a light burden, our lives with God? So what does this mean? Well, one of the metaphors that I, that I love that Jesus uses is he, uses, he talks about water. He has this moment um, with this woman where he talks about, at this well, and he, he talks about this living water, that it will, it will be the thing that, that that you will have and you will never get thirsty. Well, this idea of water has grabbed hold of my mind because in some ways I feel like the spiritual life 
in life with God is like a current. It's like a stream. Now, if that's true, then I'm not the one who's initiated it. I'm not the one who's making that stream going. I'm not the one who keeps filling it with water. That's actually outside of my ability. But what I can do is I can get in the stream. I can actually let it take me where it wants to go. And I think of God's loving activity in some way like that. In some way where, where it's easy to, to, to think, oh man, I just need to generate. I need to activate. I need to do all these things. But what if life with God was more like a stream that you were to simply get into and let the work of God take you where it wants to go? See, the thing about this one long sentence is that God is a God who is at work in your life, whether you know it or not. God is a God at work in our church, whether we know it or not. God is constantly doing. The stream of God's grace and of God's love is overflowing and continues to move. And we need to get in because the water is fine. So what do we need to do? What's our response? One word. Receive. At the end of the day, at the end of this long sentence, the last few verses talks about this inheritance that we've been given, starting in verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we have access. God, through his wondrous, magnificent, overwhelming, poured out grace and love, has offered to us life with him. Grace. Now we simply need to receive it. Now, when you think of that posture of of receptivity, what does that bring to mind? Well, maybe a different question is, what are some of the ways that we might actually close ourselves off from receiving? Well, I think one simple way is thinking that you do something to earn it, right? I mean, we've been, a lot of us have been Christians for a long time, so this isn't new news to you. It's not about, it's about salvation by grace alone. It's not about earning Yet look at your life for a minute, and you can tell me whether or not you actually believe that. Look at my life, and you'll see that so much of the time, I don't actually believe that. But if spiritual life was a life that was to be open to receiving what God wants to give, that to me sounds like a wonderful opportunity. That to me sounds like a wonderful way of living. So the only thing I think that is to be offered as a response, because God is the one who's done all this work. He's the one who's given us an inheritance. We simply need to be open to it. So what's a step toward opening your life up to God? Well, I think one step toward it. Well, I'll give you two. One is to open yourself up to others to receive the love of God through the love of other people. But in your spiritual life with God, one thing to do 
and I would encourage you to do it this week, is to begin your day, and if you need an actual physical embodied practice, is to sit with your palms open as somebody who needs to receive what God has to give. Not with your palms closed, but with your palms open. Willing to receive the truth that God wants to give to you. And I would encourage you to read through Ephesians 3, through Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. And to be open to the possibility that God wants to make you believe that that is true. That God actually wants to do a work in your life. That what he says in here about you, that you would come to believe it. That you would come to receive it. Now for some of you, you think you've received this. But this isn't a one-time thing. I mean, even the language of, of in Christ, God is making known. I mean, that is ongoing language. Right? This is a continual posture of receptivity to the gift of grace that God wants to give. So if you think you've done it, I'm encouraging to keep doing it, to be open, to be receptive to the work that God wants to do in your life, the work that God wants to do. Now for others of you who think that, again, you're outside of the possibility of that, maybe you were in the current of God's loving grace and you were living life with him and for whatever reason you stepped outside of that. And you've been outside of it for so long that you're kind of freaked out to get back in. Or you don't even know the first way or step to do that. Well, I want to encourage you to open yourself up to God. Now, for those of you who've never encountered the loving grace of God, perhaps God is calling you for the first time to open yourself up to him and to receive the grace and the love, and the life that he wants to offer to you in Jesus. There is no better way to embody this posture of receiving than what we're going to be doing in just a moment in communion. This is where it begins, is to say, yes, God, you have what I don't. You offer what I need. I can't get it. I can't attain it. God has it, and God wants to give it to you and to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's true of us. Thanks be to God.